Well, good morning, everybody. So grateful to be able to join you today. And uh, I know it's supposed to have rained all day today, but the Lord has kind of given us this little window so we could get in here dry and maybe even leave dry. We'll see. But if it rains, we need that too. So we're going to praise God either way. Let's have a word of prayer. And then we're going to jump into our scripture and devotion time today, which is going to be in Matthew 15 primarily. So let's bow our heads together and thank the Lord for another day of life. Holy God, you are a magnificent creator. But Father, you did not just make the world and all the people in it and then walk away from it, Lord God. You are an active God, a God who desires to be near to your people. And you are drawing them near to you by the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your son. This is the price that was paid for the sins of all who would trust you. And so I pray, Lord God, that we would put our hope and our trust in you. And I ask that as we look at your holy scripture today, that you would bring clarity and understanding to our minds. Help us to understand what Jesus means when he teaches to us and reveals truth. And I pray, Father, that the blessing of this message would not just be for a moment, that it would not just incite feelings in our heart, but that it would incite change in our lives, Lord God, that it would cause us to grow and mature and to be more like Christ. And we ask all these things humbly in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but there are lots and lots of phrases that are in common usage in our society today that people often think, oh yeah, that's from the Bible. But when you actually go to the Bible and try to find that phrase, some of those phrases aren't even really in there. They're not from the Lord. They're just things that people have come up with over the, over the ages, and somehow they got connected to Christianity or to the Bible. Uh, one of those phrases, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. It's actually not in the Scripture. There's something similar to it, but it is different in an important way. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that the Lord will never tempt us or allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle, but will always make a way for escape. So that's a little bit different, is it? That means the Bible tells us that no matter how tempting it is to sin and break the Lord's law, that you can never say, well, it was, it was too much temptation, I couldn't handle it. Because God will always make a way for us to escape temptation and to stand up in the day of temptation. So that's a little bit different, right? God often gives us more than we can handle. In fact, I was just reading the other day about the apostles in 2 Corinthians. And the apostle Paul said, we were despaired unto death. We didn't even want our lives anymore because they were under so much persecution and so much trial. Their ship had wrecked and they had been imprisoned for preaching the gospel and all their goods had been taken away. And he said, we didn't know what to do. But then he praises God because though it was way too much for them to handle, God handled it for them. He was the one who swept in and provided for their needs and took care of them even though they were too weak to do it for themselves. So that's an example of a phrase that sounds like it's biblical, but it's actually not. And so we need to think about these things carefully. Here's another one. Have you ever heard the phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness? Have you ever heard that phrase? Yeah, yeah grandmas love that phrase, right? <laughs> and uh, it sounds kind of like it might come out of the Bible, but it actually isn't in the Bible. In fact, we're going to look at a story today in Matthew chapter 15 uh, that, that really says cleanliness, while it is important, has very little to do with our spiritual well-being. There's nothing wrong with being clean. I would prefer if we were all well-bathed and smelled nice and had clean hands. Uh, but we should never add laws to the Word of God. God's Word has given us plenty. It's given us all that we need. In fact, we, as Christians, Christians believe that the Word of God is not only 
enough for us. It is not only a true and faithful word that doesn't have contradictions in it, but we believe that it is sufficient, that we don't need another book. We don't need more revelation because God has given us such a perfect picture of himself in his word. And he has given us laws and and rules that are to help us and to help us draw near to the Lord and to show us how holy God is. So we don't want to add laws to God's word. And that's kind of what the Pharisees were doing. Who knows what a Pharisee is? Anybody want to describe what a Pharisee is for me? Nobody wants to lay it. That's okay. I'll describe it for you. I'm the one in the pulpit, right? So in the days of Jesus, there was a group of people that were considered religious and respectable. They knew the word of God better than most people. And they thought carefully about theology, which is the knowledge of God. And so many people respected these Pharisees. But there were problems with these Pharisees. These Pharisees were so knowledgeable that that knowledge, for many of them, puffed them up. It made them act arrogant and proud to the people around them. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, it might be surprising, though he is sent of God, he is the Messiah, the Savior, who's to overcome sin and save God's people. He doesn't go right to the Pharisees, who are the religious big shots, and say, okay, guys, what are we going to do here? Or here's how we're going to change the world. He doesn't go to them at all. He goes to the people. He goes to the regular folks. And often the Pharisees got offended by this. They thought, why aren't you coming to us? Why aren't you checking with us before you go on these preaching campaigns, before you tell all these things to the people that maybe we agree with and maybe we don't? So the Pharisees saw Jesus preaching one day, and they went up to him, and they were grumbling to Jesus. And Jesus listens to them. He gives them an opportunity to talk to him. And the Pharisees say, why is it that your disciples, these men that you're training and fall after you, why don't they do the ceremonial cleansing every time they come out of the marketplace and every time they go to eat? That's something that all the Pharisees do. That's something we do uh, to show that we're set apart and we're holy and we're different from the rest of the world. And Jesus begins to defend the disciples by making it very clear to these Pharisees that while there's nothing wrong with cleaning your hands, there's actually nothing scripturally that says you have to do the ceremonial washing every time you eat. That was a rule that the Pharisees had added to the scriptures. So they were stacking laws on top of God's law, as if God's law was not enough. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read in chapter 15. That's kind of joining the story midstream because we have limited time this morning. But I'm going to start in verse 7, where it says, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Now remember, the Pharisees are the guys that most people respect. The Pharisees are the people with the loudest voice in the community. They set the culture. They are the big shots. And Jesus comes to them, and he's not trying to impress them or get their approval. He cares about the truth. And he cares about their heart. So rather than try to impress them or make them approve of him so that he'll get more likes and more followers, he tells them the truth. Verse 7, he says, You hypocrites. Now that's an opening line, right? If you went into a church service and you sat down and the pastor got on the pulpit and said, Good morning, hypocrites. Like you might be a little set back by that, right? That might sting your heart a little bit. But that's what Jesus says to these Pharisees who are supposed to be holier than everybody. He says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. And he quotes the Old Testament scripture. Because remember, from front to back, this is all the word of God. So he goes back to Isaiah in the Old Testament and he quotes him. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me 
teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So what was Isaiah pointing out there in that Old Testament scripture? Was writ- it was written over 700 years before Jesus came, but Jesus believes that scripture. That is God's scripture. And so Jesus proclaims it, and he says, this people honors me with their lips, meaning that on the outside, they appear very religious. They're doing a lot of things that might make you think that they got their lives in order, and then they got their act together. He says, but here's the problem. Their heart is far away from me. So that's possible, isn't it? And that's something we should all be leery of, that it is possible to look like you've got your outside together when in reality your heart is destitute. It is broken. It is bankrupt. That was going on in the lives of these Pharisees. And so he says, in vain do they worship me. In other words, they're doing a lot of religious things. They're worshiping and offering sacrifices and they're learning the scriptures and they're telling people rights and wrongs. And that seems very religious. But there is a problem deep within that has not been solved. It hasn't been solved by their knowledge. It hasn't been solved by their religiosity. It needs to be solved still. And then that last line really points out the problem that the Pharisees are getting themselves into here. He says, they are teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. In other words, what Isaiah was pointing out amongst the wicked people in, in, in Israel in his day was still going on with these Pharisees in Christ's day. That people love to say, well, this is what God says, and then teach their own ideas. As a church, First Family Church is committed to preaching the Word of God. We're not interested in making a whole bunch of people agree with our opinions. We simply want to show you what God has showed us about himself in his word. That is important to us. So anything that you hear from a pastor or an elder or one of the the, the servants here at First Family Church that doesn't line up with scripture, you have every right to come up to us and say, where'd you get that? I don't see that in the Bible because we are bound to this book. This is the the things that God has given to us. So Matthew uh, 15 shows us how Jesus calls out these Pharisees because they are violating the scripture, much like the Israelites had done years and years before. Verse 10, after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, so now he's kind of given some commentary to the people, to the non-Pharisees, and he says, hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man. What does the word defile mean? I wrote it here. It means to corrupt, right? So these Pharisees, they thought, man, if you don't wash your hands in this spiritual ceremonial way before you eat, then you're going to become unholy. It's going to defile you. You're not going to be a clean person anymore. And Jesus says, you know what? You've got it backwards. It's not the food that you eat that defiles you or makes you holy. And then he points out what really makes us defiled or corrupted. He said, it's that which proceeds out of the mouth. That that is what defiles the man. Verse 12, when the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Oh, yeah, they were offended, right? And we have to recognize here that the gospel of Jesus Christ contains incredible hope, but it also offends the natural heart of man. Not just those Pharisees, because it would be easy for us this morning to say, what a bunch of dumb Pharisees. Like, I'm glad I'm not a Pharisee, right? But really what the Pharisees are doing is something that each one of us does sometimes too where we let the outside seem right when the inside is broken and corrupt, when our focus should be on our heart. Rather than be truly repentant to God, we're happy instead to just do a bunch of good works and hope that's enough. So 
when we look at these Pharisees, we're actually looking into a mirror in some regards. We're seeing what we're capable of. We're seeing what we have been guilty of ourselves from time to time. He says, don't you know these Pharisees were offended? Of course they were offended. Verse 13, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, then both will fall into the pit. What he's pointing out here is he's saying, as long as these Pharisees are going to teach you their opinions and not the word of God, they don't know where they're leading you. They don't know where to take you. I love what the Apostle Paul says later in the New Testament where he's talking to the church in Corinth and he says, guys, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. If I'm not imitating Jesus, don't follow my example. But if I am walking in the ways of Christ, then see what I'm doing and walk that way because really that is our end goal, to, to love the Lord and to be loved by the Lord and to walk in the way that he walked. So the outside of a man or a woman can look really clean while the inside can be extremely rotten. Now, we try to give you the very best fruits and vegetables we can get here, but sometimes one of them squeaks through that does not taste very good, right? And you've maybe looked at a fruit that looks fine on the outside, but it's been beaten up and it has bruises. Maybe there's something inside. You take a bite out of it and you immediately think, that is not what I was expecting to get. You throw it away. And it's possible for human beings to be like that as well, where we look so clean on the outside. We look like we have figured out life, but in reality, there is a sinfulness in us that has not been made right. The external actions are not necessarily the measure of a man. Jeremiah 17.9 is also an Old Testament prophet like Isaiah. He said this, he said, the heart of man, and he wasn't just talking about a specific type of man or woman here, or a certain race or just the Israelites or anybody, he was talking about man. He said, the heart of man is exceedingly wicked and deceitful above all things. That's from the word of God. That's not good business for Hallmark, right? (laughs) Because the Hallmark Channel and Disney and so many of these worldly institutions want us all to believe that we're all basically good inside, that we all do what is right unless our environment somehow hurts us and makes us a victim and then we can't be held accountable because we were damaged by the world we live in. So how can we do what's right? But in reality, the Bible tells us a different story. It says, from the very first man, Adam, who sinned in the Garden of Eden, that every human being has been rotten inside. So it's not something from the outside that makes us sinful. It is what is inside of us that is broken and prone to break the laws of God, prone to sin. So the good thing about the Word of God is it doesn't stop at that bad news, because that's pretty bad news, that we are sinners that we have a wretchedness to us, that we are prone to do what is wrong if it suits us. But the Bible goes on and gives us good news that counteracts the bad. And that good news is called the gospel. Ezekiel in the Old Testament, another one of those big prophets from back before Jesus, he wrote this about a new covenant that God was going to bring his people into. And he's going to do that through the Messiah, the one to come. It says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you, a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
What Ezekiel was doing and pointing forward to the good news of Jesus Christ is that God knows that if we're to be saved, it can't just be a bunch of external things that we do to cancel out our bad actions. There needs to be something intrinsic that transforms in us. And it's not something we can accomplish on our own. He doesn't say, Ezekiel doesn't say, go out and get yourself a new heart. He doesn't say, take out that heart of stone and you better get spiritual and get holy and fix yourself. He doesn't say that because that would be a message of despair. Because we don't have the power to do that, at least not perfectly. You might be able to muster enough strength to change one or two habits in your life. Praise God if that happens. But in reality, if the the heart that wants what is evil does not change, we will just find a different way to be evil. A way that people don't see so obviously. So what God is talking about here in Ezekiel, when he says, I'm going to give them a new heart, he's talking about the advent of Jesus Christ. We are getting closer and closer to Christmas, and we celebrate at Christmas not just a happy man in a red suit who gives out gifts. We celebrate the birth of God's Son. The, the difference between Christianity and every religion in the world is that every religion in the world says, here's how you make yourself a better person and don't feel bad about your badness. Christianity says you can't do any of that. Christianity says your heart's wicked. God has got to do the work of making you a new creation. And the only way that it's going to apply to you is if your faith is in him. And so God proved to mankind throughout all of history up to Jesus that we could not keep the laws of God, that we fall short of those laws, that we will find ways to sin. And then when Jesus came, he took on a human flesh, a human nature, through and through, human body and soul, and then he lived in the ways that we could not live. He followed the law of God, and he did it perfectly and consistently and with love and compassion and grace his whole life. So this Jesus did not deserve to be punished for his sins. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but there is one exception to that, and that's the Son of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages, the consequences of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Romans 6.23 is saying there at the end is he gives us the bad news, the wages of sin is death, that if we have sinned against God, then we don't deserve to have the life that he has given to us, And that's a true thing. But the second half of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus came to live perfectly, not just to show off in front of us, not just to be an example so that we could do better. He came to give his perfect life on the cross as a sacrifice for sin because God being a holy God cannot be near to sinful creatures. And so if he's going to be near to you, the sin that is yours has got to be dealt with eternally. And the way that is done is through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He brings his life as a substitute for ours and suffers in the place of anyone who will trust in him. And when we put our hope and faith in Jesus and trust in the work that he has done, and we say, listen, I'm not, I recognize that my heart is broken. I recognize that I am prone to wickedness and I need change, but it can only come from you, Lord God. I trust you. Be my king, be my savior, and I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. When God changes your heart to think that way, then all the sin that used to define you is not your master anymore. You still have to deal with it. 
Christians sin too. Christians stumble and fall. But the change of heart that happens within the believer means that now you're not going to love that sin anymore. God has given you this new heart, a heart of flesh that can love what is good and can do what is right thanks to his strength and his help. You know, we started today by saying there's lots of phrases that pop up in our culture that sound biblical, but they're not really biblical. I'm going to give you one more. You've probably heard this before. God helps those who help themselves. How many of you have heard that quoted from the Bible, right? You will find it nowhere in the pages of scriptures. You know who God comes to help? He comes to help those who cannot help themselves. He comes to help those who do not have the power and the capacity to make themselves new. And guess what? That's every single one of us. In faith, we can trust in Jesus and He can be the one who saves us. We don't save ourselves. We don't become better people through religious activities. God will make us sanctified. He will make us holy. But it is His work in us through faith. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? God, I pray that you would give us that heart of faith this morning, Lord, that we would not be content to appear holy, but that we would desire a true holiness that comes from within, a holiness that comes from your Son, that gives us a heart of love and compassion, and that makes us more like your, your, your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us with faith. We know that our faith is not always strong. We are often weak, Lord, but that's why we draw near to you. Help us to be true worshipers and to care about what really matters, what really comes from your word, Lord God. And give us the discernment to be able to tell the difference. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.